many may be seated. I invite you to join me now as we do every Lord's Day together in taking our copy of God's Word. And turn with me back to the book of Revelation for our passage this morning, Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. So again, turn to the last book of the Bible, the second chapter there, verses 8 through 11. And last Sunday, we began our series on the seven churches in the book of Revelation to look at these churches and to see what happens for some of them, when you don't keep the means of grace, what does the Lord do to churches when he's given these means of the word, prayer, sacrament, fellowship, and they don't keep them? But also what happens when you do keep them? So last week we began with the first church, the church in Ephesus. And as you remember, from the outside looking in, it looked like a good church. If we had moved to the town of Ephesus in that day and age, and we were looking for a good church, the church of Ephesus would have been a strong candidate. They were, uh, they had been planted by the Apostle Paul. I mean, that's, a, I mean, that's a hallmark in of itself right there, isn't it? They had been planted by one of the greatest church planters of human history outside of Jesus Christ. They were known for good deeds, it said in verse 2, that they were diligent in doing the right things. They gave a lot of effort to their work and and ministry in the church and in the community. But they are also known for knowing their Bibles. They they knew their Bibles, they knew their doctrine, they knew their theology. They're the the kind that could sit around a campfire and and talk long into the night about different intricacies of, uh, of different theological and doctrinal things. They knew their Bible, they knew their theology, they stood against the Nicolaitans, who were a heretical group. They endured hardships. They hadn't grown weary. Except from the outside, look at them, their resume looked good. They looked like a good, strong church. But Jesus says they had a problem, and they had a big problem. And that problem was they had abandoned their first love, meaning they had fallen out of love with Jesus. Again, keep that in mind. This church planted by Paul, doing all the right things, were doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons because they weren't doing it for Jesus. They fallen out of love with them. The one they knew loved them, lived for them, died for them, ministered for them. That one they had stopped loving. So which means they could know they no longer were loving God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and their neighbors as themselves. They were no longer living for God's glory. They were living for their glory. They were living for their comfort. They were living for their prestige in the community. And Jesus says that is a big problem. How can you be a Christian and not love Jesus? How can you be a church and not love Jesus? Yet that's exactly where the Ephesian church was. They had made an idol of theology. They had made an idol of knowing all the right answers. They knew their theology, but they didn't know the God of the the theology. They loved theology, but they didn't love the Jesus of theology. And that's a problem. And Jesus tells them to repent of this and to return to the works they did at first. These works that they were taught by the Apostle Paul, as he learned it from the other apostles, as, they, as we see in the book of Acts chapter 2, these works are the means of grace. Jesus says, repent of not loving me and return to be a people and a church of word, prayer, sacraments, and fellowship. 
You have erred in not loving me. You have erred in not living in the light of my love through this means of grace. So you're not growing in the grace and knowledge of me, your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he says, return to me and live in that love through the means of grace. And that's the call here. But it's not just a call for the church in Ephesus. It's a call for Bethel ARP. It's a call for us. Are we a people? Are you? Are me? And me? Are we a church that is committed to the reading, preaching, and teaching of God's word? Are we committed to praying with and for each other? Are we committed to coming to the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism? Are we committed to the fellowship of the saints? Are we guilty of being like the Ephesians and we're just playing at church? We may look good to outsiders, but we're guilty of loving other things more than Jesus. May we love our traditions more than we love Jesus. May we love theology more than we love Jesus. May we love the idea of what we want the church to be more than what Jesus wants it to be. Do you love other things more than Jesus? Are you putting other things in front of Jesus? Are we more concerned about looking good to Winsboro instead of living rightly before Jesus? If I'm guilty of this, if you're guilty of this, if we're guilty of this, then we need to heed the words of Jesus. And we need to repent. And we need to return to our first love of Jesus. We need to immerse ourselves in that love through the means of grace. Because if not, Jesus tells us very clearly, the Lord may remove our lampstand. And here's what that means. In generations to come, this building may still be standing here on the corners of Zion and Washington Street, but there's no Bethel ARP here. We may have only memories. A a faded picture tucked away in somebody's attic. a, A tattered bulletin in the family Bible. But if we don't love Jesus first and most, there will be no more Bethel ARP. We celebrate 200 years of history next year. It's my prayer there's 200 more. There will be 200 more when we heed the word of the Spirit to the church in Ephesus. And so that brings us this morning to the second church that's addressed by Jesus, and that's the church in Smyrna. As we prepare to read this passage together, I want you to pay careful attention to the difference between what Jesus says to the church in Smyrna versus what he says to the church in Ephesus. We'll find it Revelation 2, 8 through 11. Let me pray for us as we come together before God's word. Lord, we come to you now. And we come before your word and we pray for your blessing upon this time. I am just a poor, stammering messenger. And this is your flock. And we have gathered to hear your word. Work through me. Work through the reading, preaching, and teaching of your word. So we may heed the directives to the church of Smyrna that we will have ear and we will do what this has called us to do. We praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation 2, verses 8 through 11. We'll stand together now for the reading of God's word. 
And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but they are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. Some of us are just old enough from previous generations that we understand it when someone says to us, keep on trucking. We know they mean keep on keeping on, stay on the track, keep on doing what you've been doing. Keep on trucking. We say that. Some of us in the background may hear the Grateful Dead start singing, right? Trucking, got my chips cashed in, keep trucking like the doodah man. Keep on keeping on. Stay the track. Keep on doing what you're doing. Keep on trucking. And that's the idea here in our passage for this morning. Jesus is telling the smarter church, the smarter church, keep on trucking. Stay on the track. You're doing well. Keep on doing what you've been doing because you're doing a good job. I'm proud of you. I love you. You're doing what you're supposed to do. Keep on trucking. So did you notice then the difference between what Jesus says to the church in Smyrna versus what he says to the church in Ephesus? There's no rebuke in this letter. Jesus is just praising the church. There's no, there's no saying, here's what you've done wrong. There's no call to repentance. This is their Lord and Savior saying to them, I love you. And I am with you. Keep up the good work. Keep on trucking. You're doing a good job. Now, we don't know a lot about this church in Smyrna. And we certainly don't know as much as we do about the church in Ephesus. Really, again, like all we know about this is from this section here. There's a few verses here in Revelation. We do know that there was a city of Smyrna. It's said about 35 miles north of Ephesus. So, the, so they were neighbors, but you know, a day or two traveling apart from each other. Uh, Smyrna was an important city in the Roman Empire. And so which means there would have been a lot of paganism around them. A lot of paganism in the city of Smyrna. But here's the thing about the church in Smyrna. We don't know who planted the church. We know who planted the church in Ephesus. We don't know who planted it in Smyrna. We don't know when it started. We don't know its size. We don't know any of its prominent members. We really don't know much about it. All we know is from this passage right here. Three or four verses that really don't give us a whole lot of detail. It's that Jesus saying to them, I love you. I'm with you. You're doing a good job. Keep on trucking. And I think it'd be easy for us to look at it and kind of move on. But, but I think there's something worth exploring here. Something worth examining. And that is this. We live in a celebrity-obsessed, coolness-addicted society. We are very, as a society, we are very concerned about celebrities. How do they want me to vote? What do they want me to wear? How should I live my life according to the Kardashians or the real housewives of whatever city in America or whatever Taylor Swift says on her her new album, right? Who... 
what celebrity wants me to do what? And so we're addicted to coolness. How can I be fashionable? What can I do to not stand out? We live in a culture that bows at the idol of celebrity and of coolness. And sadly, it has made its way into the American church as well. There's a tendency in the church in America to have this idea that if a church is large, right, big buildings, it's a large campus, that their pastor is well known, maybe even a celebrity, he writes books and he's on the radio or TV or people know him. They have really good programs and ministry that there's just a, a cool factor to the church. Right? It's, it's cool to go to that church because they have the cool pastor and they have cool sermon series and, and they have a cool name. Then it must be a good church. They're big. People know them. They're cool. It must be a large, successful, faithful church. They have great marketing. They have great PR. And it all adds up to a church that is a good church. And they're happening. They're doing a lot. They're faithful. They're successful as a church. That tends to be the, the, the idea, the philosophy of thinking in the American way, in the American church. So if that is true, then there must be an opposite to that philosophy. Then the opposite must be true as well, which is this. If a church is smaller and just has some regular doofus as a pastor, and they don't have a ton of programs, they just preach from the Bible, it's just a boring, old, regular, normal church, never be considered cool. It must be a dying and unsuccessful church, isn't it? Who would want to be a church like that? Who would want to go to a church like that? Let's go to the cool church with the cool name, with the cool pastor. In many churches nowadays, that's how they go by that model. You read any, any church planting stuff. You read anything about health of church, that's what it is. The louder the music, the better. And my pet peeve, hit pastors who wear skinny jeans. Sermons that sound more like life coaching with the sprinkle of Jesus here and there, right? That's the cool church model that we all know. Now, I want you to take all that, and I want us to think and compare the Ephesian church versus the Smyrna church. What's the Ephesian church? They had a well-known pastor, or they, they were planted by a well-known pastor. It's the Apostle Paul. And they seem to be well-known in Ephesus. The community knew them and appreciated them. They had programs going on. They were probably a sizable church. People knew the Ephesian church. But what was their problem? They didn't love Jesus. They had all the cool factor. But they had stopped loving Jesus. Now look at the church in Smyrna. Who's their pastor? Some regular doofus whose name isn't recorded. We don't, we don't know much of anything about their ministries. <clears throat> they don't seem to be a very well-known church. It's a boring, old, Bible-preaching and believing church. But Jesus commends them for being faithful. That boring, normal, doofus pastor church is commended for being faithful. Why? Because unlike the Ephesian church, the Smyrna church never stopped loving Jesus. They loved him first. They loved him most. So they kept the means of grace personally and corporately. 
They have been planted in that model, same as the church in Ephesus, as they see from Acts 2. They, they kept the means of grace personally and corporately. They are devoted to the reading, preaching, and teaching of God's word. They are committed to prayer. They, they, they came to the sacraments in faith. They, they were engaged in fellowship with one another. And Jesus commended them for that. So as we talk about following Jesus faithfully, we do it in the means of grace, doesn't guarantee popularity. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't guarantee coolness. It doesn't even guarantee that people will always want to come to your church. But it does this. It guarantees the favor of God. And the favor of God far outweighs favor with men. What would we rather hear Jesus say about our church? Bethel ARP, you're a really cool church and you've got a lot of things wrong, but you're cool. Or we rather say, Bethel ARP, you know me, you love me, and I commend you for that. Favor with God will always outweigh favor with man. And so this should influence how we think of our faith and how we think of churches. Do they love Jesus first and most? Are, are they faithful to God's means of grace, of word, prayer, sacrament, fellowship? Is God's glory their greatest concern and pursuit? Are they, a church, more like smarter than Ephesus? But we also have to ask that of ourselves. Are we more like smarter than Ephesus? Do we love Jesus first and most? Are we seeking to be faithful to God's means of grace through word, prayer, sacrament, and fellowship? Is God's glory our greatest concern and pursuit? Are we more like Smyrna than we are like Ephesus? Or are we more like Ephesus than we are like Smyrna? Now, this doesn't mean it was all sunshine and roses for the church in Smyrna. Because what, what does Jesus commend them for? Well, the first thing he commends them for is the way they handled tribulation. Tribulation that led to suffering. He commends them that they have faithfully endured tribulation and suffering that they were under for their faith in him. And we're told they suffered tribulation in different ways. First, they suffered in poverty, that they were poor. There were people who didn't have two pennies to rub together. They didn't have multiple homes. They didn't have closets full of, of clothes. They didn't have pantries full of food. They couldn't you know, pay for vacation. Are we going to go to the mountains? Are we going to go to the coast? What are we going to do? No, they were poor. They, they, were, they, they were under poverty. And, and there's the idea they were under poverty because they were living in a city that was so pagan it turned against them in a sense financially. It was hard for them to find a job. It was hard for them to make money because they were Christians trying to live in a pagan society. They were suffering poverty for the sake of Jesus Christ. And to me, that raises an interesting question. Can you be poor and be a faithful Christian? Or can you be a faithful Christian and be poor? I, I, I think many of us will say, well, the answer is obvious. Us. But let's think through that a little bit more. And think about what I've found so many Christians believe. That is, material wealth is a sign of faithfulness. That as long as we're faithful to God, then he will be faithful in blessing us materially and financially. How do we know we have God's favor? By our house, by our clothes, by our cars, by our boats, by all the things we own. Why is it we think God loves us? 
Because we have more clothes than we know what to do with. And we're throwing away food at the end of the month. And we just can't figure out where I want to vacation this year. We like our money. We like being comfortable. And we have conflated that with God blessing us for faithfulness. We often think of material wealth as God's blessing us for our faith, but it isn't always true. Was Jesus rich? Materially speaking, absolutely not. So he didn't have a pillow to lay his head upon. What about the apostles? Well, Paul was a bivocational pastor. He's out planning churches, but he's also making tents. We never get the idea that the apostles were rolling in money. Our material wealth on earth will only go so far. We all know the saying that you'll never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. But faith stands for an eternity. And we find that there are Christians around the world who are faithful, wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ who are not only poor, but they're in extreme poverty. And they are rich in faith. They They may only own one outfit. One. One outfit. They may live in a house with dirt floors. They may be able to only afford one meal a day. And they love Jesus. And they love his word. And they love praying with and for each other. And they delight in going to worship and taking the sacraments. And they look forward to, to fellowshipping with other brothers and sisters in Christ. See, to them, God's blessing isn't defined as material wealth. It's defined as salvation in Jesus Christ. Their greatest blessing isn't what sits in the driveway or sits on their acreage. Their greatest blessing is the fact that Jesus loves them and Jesus has saved them. This unworthy sinner and the God of all has saved them from their sins. While we were serving at the Olivet Presbyterian Church over at McConnell's, we had a young lady named Beverly who was born and raised in McConnell's, went to Westminster Catawba Christian School, and then when she went to college at Covenant College, and while there, uh, she went with a group from Covenant College over to Africa to do some mission work for the summer. And when she got back, she, she explained to us that her, her mind was blown in so many ways during her time there in Africa. But she said one thing that stuck out to her was worship. The village they ministered in had one church, it was a village church, that church had three standing walls and no roof. It had a dirt floor. And the pews were made out of scrap wood that had no back to them, so they were just benches. And she said it was the most joyful worship service she has ever experienced. And she's a good Presbyterian, because she said it was long, it was three to four hours. They didn't get done in an hour. But she said they're in the midst of poverty was the most joyful worship service she'd ever experienced. She was identifying them by their poverty. And they were identifying themselves by the Lord. And we don't know the extent of, of Smyrna's poverty, but they were poor enough. And it seemed that they didn't, they didn't grumble. They didn't sacrifice parts of a biblical teaching in order to gain material wealth. They had the idea of, well, my Lord and Savior is poor. Then it's okay for me to be poor. Because what's, 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 what's it say? You're poverty, yet you're rich. Why, why can Jesus say that to them? Because they have the riches of God's grace and salvation in Jesus Christ. 
So what if they have a roof on their house? So what if they can only eat one meal a day? So what if they had to wear the same outfit Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday? They were content with Jesus because they knew Jesus loved them and he had guaranteed heaven for them. Now, how could they do that? How could they live with such faithfulness, this obedience, this joy? Because the Smyrna church had never forsaken their first love of Jesus. They had stayed rooted in his word. They were committed to the reading, preaching, and teaching of God's word. They, they faithfully prayed with and for each other. They, they loved to come to worship and take the sacraments. They loved to be in fellowship with each other. And all of this kept them in the light of Jesus' love and grace. Jesus doesn't have to say to them, return to me, because they've never left him, because they know he would never leave them. And that's the model that's set for you and me and for Bethel. We need to be rooted individually and corporately in God's, in God's word. We need to be committed to the reading, preaching, and teaching of God's word. Committed to faithfully praying with and for each other. Committed to, to coming to take in the sacraments, to, to be in fellowship with other believers. That's how the church this morning dealt with the hardship of poverty, but also these other issues. They were being slandered by Jews in the town. The city of Smyrna had a large Jewish population. That population was on good terms with the Romans. And because of that relationship, it was of good interest to them, of the Jews, to disassociate themselves from the Christians. Cool factor. They want to be cool to the Romans, so they couldn't be cool to the Christians. Church history tells us that in the 2nd century, Polycarp, our early church father, a very faithful Christian, was put to death in Smyrna, aided in part by the Jews. So it seems that from the very beginning of the Christian church in Smyrna, there wasn't a good relationship between them and the Jews. It's to the point that Jesus, uh, we'll get to that in a minute, it's to the point that Jewish population insulted and slandered the Christians. They lied. They would go around and and lie about what the Christians were doing in their personal lives and their worship services. It's to the extent that Jesus described them as a synagogue of Satan. I think we all understand that's not a good thing to be called. And what was the root cause of their feelings towards the slander of Christians? It was Jesus Christ. Why did the Jews hate him? Because they loved Jesus. And Jesus tells us, the world hated me first, and they will hate you. Yet because the Smyrna church lived in the light of God's grace and love and his means of grace, they could deal with the slander. God was on their side. What would they have to fear? So Jesus tells them, you're going to go to prison. You're going to suffer death. And it's going to be all for me. And the Smyrna church said, it's all worthwhile. It's just for Jesus. It's all worthwhile. As we prepare to close this morning, I want us to think through this one last thing. Imagine you were at church in Smyrna that morning and you were hearing this letter read to you. Jesus saying, I love you, I'm proud of you, and keep on trucking. You're poor, you've been slandered against, some of you are going to be put in prison, and some of you are going to die. And the only promise of deliverance from all this was death. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Would you want to stay in that church? Or maybe that Sunday, over Sunday lunch, you look at your, your family and go, you know what? 
We might want to try the church down the street, guys. And it doesn't sound too promising for here for the church in Smyrna. I think at some point, we all need to wrestle whether or not we are here because it's comfortable and safe. We're all well fed, some of us more than others. We have nice homes, decent cars, nice clothes. And it's just easy to do this, isn't it? Our biggest problem is whether or not we want to do this. Do we want to set our alarm and get up in time for Sunday school? Or do I just need that extra hour? I need that me time. And maybe I'll make it to worship if I, if I make it at all, if I even choose to go at all. Maybe let's just go. Let's just we'll go to the beach. Let's go to the river. Let's, let's go to the mountains. Bethel will be there when we get back. Our biggest problem is we're too comfortable. And we take it all for granted. And we know it happens when we take things for granted. Eventually, they're going to go away. So we sit there and think, well, Bethel will be there when we get back. Will it? How long do you think we'll keep our lampstand if this is our attitude? I'll get to church when I feel like it. I'll do church when I feel like doing church. If I want to sleep in, I'm going to sleep in. If I want to be somewhere else, I'm going to be somewhere else. How long do you think Jesus will keep our lampstands? That's our attitude. When we look to the Smyrna church, we see a church who loved Jesus first and most. They are a means of grace church because of that love. And it's my prayer as the pastor of Bethel that when the history is written of our time here now, I can't speak for other times I wasn't here, but for the time we're here now, It's my prayer that the same will be said of us. Bethel ARP, they love Jesus first and most. They are committed to his word. They are committed to prayer. They are committed to sacraments. They are committed to fellowship because of the love of Christ. And that begins in the pews. And that begins with those in leadership. And that begins with those who teach. So Jesus says, who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church in Smyrna. Are we like the Smyrna church that's all for God's glory? Are we like the Ephesian church for our glory and for our comfort? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church in Smyrna. Pray with me.